All right, good morning again, everyone. Fourth and fifth graders, you can go on to your class right now if you'd like. The fourth and fifth graders, you are welcome to head on off to your class this morning. And for the rest of us, we begin a brand new message series this morning entitled, I Am Second. Very excited about it. We're doing a little, some little different things this morning. There's going to be three stories we're going to tell this morning, two via video, which means shorter sermon this morning. Amen? So we're going to see a couple of videos, but they're stories of what we just, fit, uh, on Easter, we began a Dying for Change message series. It's been three weeks talking about what it looks like to have our lives radically transformed by Jesus and how we can enter into that process that our life could be truly, qualitatively different because of what Jesus has done in our life. And for the next three weeks, I want to tell stories of individuals who have experienced that spiritual transformation. And this is why. Sermons are awesome, but sometimes just hearing the power of somebody's story, it connects with us in a way that we could go, that's exactly what happened in my life, or I went through that, or I'm in the middle of that. And there's inspiration and hope to find out that Jesus can radically intervene and make everything in the story come out good. And so we have three stories. One will be from somebody within Livingstone's church. The second story will be somebody in the larger body of Christ. And the third will be a biblical story that I'll share this morning. So those are the three stories, and that will be the pattern that will follow over the next three weeks. So lots of threes. That seemed like a biblical number, so that's where we're going with this morning. So in it, uh, there's something radical that's possible when we get to that place in our life when we say... Jesus is my priority. He is the number one thing in my life. And I'm telling you, this is a contrary message to everything that we hear that tells us and tries to inform us that we should look out for ourselves, that no one else is going to do it for us. So you should look out for number one that places ourselves at the top and at the center of our lives. But I'm telling you, real life, real abundant life comes not from being the center of life, but being the penultimate and allowing Jesus to be the center. And there's something when we say, I am second, and mean that, and know there's great joy and blessing in that, everything can change. So here are these stories now. Uh, the first one here of what it means to say, I am second. Came home one day to find out that... Uh... My bank account was completely drained. Um, foreclosure notice on the house, and every bill that I thought was being paid was was not. I very much went just just over the edge. I didn't I didn't know how to fix any of this, and I don't think there was any way to fix it. Yeah. But uh, I, I stole some money. I stole, and uh, I was caught. I was born and raised in a Catholic church. Uh, first through, halfway through my junior year in high school, as far as with Catholic schooling, I was an altar boy, uh, Eucharistic minister as I got older. Knew who Jesus was. Not big on relationship, there wasn't. You know, it was always pretty much just a, a uh, it was something we did. I started, I started to search for things to make me complete, because I really just, I felt that there was this emptiness there, that, that I just, I wasn't a whole person. Started to um, look for popularity, look for approval outside of, of God, during the Marine Corps. A high school fling turned into my first wife. It turned into uh, a divorce and heartache and heartbreak and 
I met a, another woman very quickly, very, very bad influence in my life. I, again, started to, to do very, very dumb things, make really dumb decisions. But this time around, those dumb decisions had really, really serious consequences. I finally, I was sitting there, and I'll, I'll never forget it, sitting there in a county jail and this little kid I mean he was he was a kid he, he still had braces in his mouth but he looked at me and said mister I don't know what your problems are and I don't know I don't know what your story is but I guarantee you that the answers are in here and he hands me a little New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs in it little Gideon New Testament and I was angry at that time. I, I, I really, I mean, I, I couldn't believe that this kid had just, you know, just handed me this thing. So I, I set it down next to me and I was, I was mad. And I, I, I was mad at myself. Um, I was angry with God for, for whatever reason I, I felt was justified. But it took me a while to open that, to open it up. And foolishly, I, I just, I, I'd prayed for the first time in years. And it was a silly prayer, but I asked God, I said, you know, whatever you have planned for me, I'm just going to flip through this book and I'm going to open up a page and I'm going to read. And whatever I read, I'm going to take as your, as your word to me. This is, this is my direction. This is where I'm supposed to go. And I flipped through, my eyes were closed, I just clenched that, that little book in my hand, I, I opened it up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge me in all your ways, and I will direct your paths. And I mean, I know that, that I knew from that moment that I wasn't alone, that no matter how low I had sunk, no matter what I'd done, that I couldn't, I couldn't possibly be so bad that God didn't love me. But I knew also that I needed, I needed to surrender. It, it was that acknowledging Him in all my ways, it was that surrender to Him, it was that, it was that submission that was going to make the difference. When the Bible says that uh, with, with God all things are possible, it's, the words are written literally because it's a literal possibility. My name is Jeff Lynchak, and I am second. Everybody, give it up for Jeff Lynchak if you wouldn't mind. He was uh, he was in here at 9:30 at the 9:30 service, but it's a kind of vulnerable thing to put yourself out there to tell your story. So when you see him, tell him that you love him and appreciate what he's done, and it was no small deal to tell his story to us as well. Secondly, I want you to hear another story. Um, there is a guy named Brian Head Welch who was the guitarist 
for the band Corn. And if you're not familiar with the band Corn, very hardcore, that whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing, it is the path of Corn for you parents. Corn is spelled with a K and not a C. That's very important in terms of hip factor with your kids. If you spell with a C, you will not be as cool. So I want you to know exactly how to spell that. But was going down a particular path, and then God intervened, and he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, uh, begins to discuss what it means to confess that he is, in fact, second. So be blessed by this. So in my head, I was like, okay, I'm going to accept Christ in front of everybody right now. Then I'm going to go home and snort drugs until I don't want to do them anymore. And that was my way of thinking. So I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, and put her in front of the TV. I remember I grabbed a $100 bill. I always used a $100 bill for some reason, pride or something. I chopped up my crystal meth, got it all smooth and powdery, and I snorted a big old line. And I held the bill, and I looked up, and I said, Jesus if you're real like that pastor said, then you got to take these drugs from me. Come into my life. Come into my heart. And I just got quiet. I said, search me right now. Search my heart. And I stayed silent. And I said, you know I want to quit. You know I want to be a good dad for this kid. She lost her mother to drugs. And she's going to lose me if I don't quit. Amen. There's a high when you go on stage and you see all these people like just loving your music and loving you and stuff. And there's these girls and all these people going, <sighs> worshiping me. When you see all those people just going nuts for you, it's like, you know, it, it puffs you up inside. You're like, you know, I'm important. That's where drugs can creep in and, you know, cocaine or whatever, methamphetamines crept in and... It all came from after drinking for me and, and my friends, and uh, it seems like fun in the beginning. It's a lie because it, it it turns around on you. It starts to wear on your personality. It starts to wear on your relationships, and everything is affected by it negatively. Everything. There was a, a few times where life seemed good my daughter Janae she came into the world and I was like it was just such a, a euphoric feeling I thought my life could just feel like that forever you know it was like a it was spiritual just I didn't know what was happening I just felt so much love just fill my emotions and I thought I was going to be happy but uh I just couldn't, I couldn't stay sober. I didn't know how. I hit rock bottom. I had swore that I would never do methamphetamines again because I saw what it did to my child's mother. It, it just took her feelings away and made her leave her kid. I just wanted her dead. I wanted to kill her. I thought she was a scum of the earth. And, uh, you know, how could she do drugs like that and let it, let the drugs win her like that? So I never was going to do meth again. I ended up with a 
every day of crippling addiction to methamphetamine and everything that I said about my ex-wife came true for me. I sunk to the lowest gutter I could ever think of. I would spend time with my kid and I'd still be on it because I needed it to function. I'd get up in the morning, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and snort meth and then take her to school or whatever. It was just, I it was a junkie. I started losing my mind. This guy would show up at my house with like a gun and stuff. And then I ran out in Europe, had my drug dealer crazy. send me drugs through through the mail. I'd be tweaked out in my hotel room watching this package come from the U.S. It's just nuts. My life just was like spinning out of control. Well, Janae had come out on, a, on one of the tours in the U.S. I just remember me. her skipping around the house singing one of our corn songs called Adidas. All day I dream about sex. And I'm like going, what am I doing? I'm a junkie. My daughter's singing All Day I Dream About Sex, and uh, I'm going to die. Father? My uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, f I felt the scripture, like, jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this but I felt like this would mean something to you it's Matthew 11:28. come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest I remember all tweaked out I looked up in the dictionary weary I looked up burdened and I just I pulled the scripture apart and I was like oh, I'm, I'm weary and burdened and I need rest for my soul and uh I didn't know if it was real, but you know they invited me to church a couple couple weeks later, and I had received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. Father, I felt so much fatherly love from from heaven, and it was like. I don't condemn you. I love you. I love you. It was just love, love. And instantly, that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs. And uh, I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn and I'm going to raise my kid. Because my kid, like I got the love from God coming to me and then it came out of me to my kid. It changed me. My heart was changed like that. And I was like, Janaya. Daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up, and she's like, for me? You know, she felt so special. And uh, God used her to save me, to save her life later on. My dream came true way more than I dreamt about. I, got, I made more money. I played bigger shows. I mean houses, cars, I tried drugs, I tried sex, I tried everything to try to get pleasure out of this life. And I thought that I could fulfill my life with all this stuff by, by having my dream come true. And it came true, but it didn't fulfill it. When Christ came in, that feeling, he gives you the gift of understanding life, which is everything was created for Christ and by Him, and we're created to be with Him. 
and it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong and contentment is given to you in life because you don't have to look anywhere else and you're exactly where you need to be and the question about life is answered I'm Brian Head Welch and I'm second See, those are the reason why those strike us as powerful is because I mean there are stories. I mean you might not all know this, but being the pastor of Livingstone's Church, I know this. I mean this is not unlike the stories that have gathered this morning. They could say I know exactly what that's like, or I'm even in the midst of it now. And what I want you to know is that there is great power in Jesus Christ for deliverance and new life and hope and promise of something more. I thought it was very powerful when he said, uh, referring to God, he used her to save me to save her. Isn't that powerful? That's a, a powerful thing. Let me give you one more story that might connect with you differently than these other two that you might be thinking, oh yeah, that's my story. And you would know his name. Uh, his friends and family called him Simeon or Simon as it's passed on to us in the English. He lived in a region called Galilee, which would be largely rural and agricultural. You wouldn't go there for any particular reason. Nobody really said to themselves, hey, let's go on vacation to Galilee. But even within Galilee, there were a few cities that grew large enough that were sort of considered cosmopolitan. And this is where he and his family lived in a town called Bethsaida. He was raised in a Jewish home. And even in that, the time of the day, or in the time of his day, he was bilingual. So he could speak Hebrew fluently, but he could also speak Greek fluently, which was the language of commerce and business, much like English is for us today. His father's name was John or Jonas, and he had a brother, I'm going to guess, who was younger, named Andrew. And if you ask the family and the friends, and they were to describe Simeon and Andrew, I bet most of them would say the younger brother, Andrew, was a little bit more spiritual than his older brother, Simon. But with his brother, they owned a small business, and it was as common in the time you followed the family line. You did the trade of the family, and you could jump out of it per se, but it was rare, so you usually took up what your father did and his father before him. And for them, their small business was in the fishing industry. They had a small fishing business, and they had a partnership with two other brothers who were known as the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, James and John. Simon wasn't by any means stupid. But he did lack formal training and education. He would not be looked to as the one who had the skills of the finer points of rabbinic tradition or education. Because of his upbringing, we know that he had an accent, which in the book of Acts tell us betrayed him. So he's sort of like, picture uh, you're from Mississippi or Alabama, and you move up to northern Indiana, your accent will give you away that you're not from around here. He was married. And he was familiar with recent religious happenings that were going on in the area. And especially he was aware of someone named John that they were calling a prophet from God who was known as the baptizer. Simon would be in every way, like some of you, extremely ordinary, extremely down to earth, trying just the best that he can to earn a good living to support his wife and family. He would be in our minds blue collar. He would be hardworking. He would be maybe rough around the edges. He would be one who might be perhaps crass in his speech or his tone. He oftentimes lacked that filter, you know, that goes from your brain to your mouth. He lacked it at times and said things without thinking, which I'm sure got him in trouble many a times, probably my guess, especially with his wife. Simon's life, although lived 2,000 years ago, would not be dissimilar to those of us today. 
And while some of the facts may change and the qualitative nature of Simon's life would look very much different than your own, Simon could have continued his life much like his father did and his father before him day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. And then eventually what would happen is Simon would die and he would have, given his birth, his origin, being in a good Jewish family, he would have afforded to him all of the normal burial customs that come with being in the Jewish faith. And his friends and family would gather together and they would tell stories about Simon and how wonderful he was. And it would probably be within a few short generations, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, that he would literally be forgotten and his name would no longer be mentioned. And he, like those who went on before him, would fade. But one day... His story has changed. It has changed from that idea of just kind of working out the best you can, a living to support your family and being a good person. All of a sudden, in a moment, that gets interrupted because his younger brother Andrew is out listening to this prophet named John who was the baptizer. And one day while he's listening to John, another man goes walking by. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's actually the cousin of John the Baptist and younger by six months. And as Jesus of Nazareth walks by, John the Baptist points at him in front of Andrew and says, that is the Lamb of God. And Andrew's interests are piqued as John the Baptist was trying to say he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. And there was even a baptism that went around that time period. But Andrew in his curiosity and his excitement runs to tell his big brother Simon that it might be possible that they have found the Messiah. So Andrew brought his brother Simon to Jesus. And the very first thing that Jesus did was look right at him and say, now picture this in your mind. You don't know this man. This man doesn't really know you, at least it doesn't seem. And Jesus looks right at Simon and he says to him, You are Simon, son of John, but you are going to be called Cephas, which if translated in the Greek would be Petra, which is where we get our name Peter, and it means rock or stones, which we like because we got stones all around here. And in this moment of encounter, Jesus sees in Simon that no one else can see. And Jesus sees in Simon something that Simon himself cannot see. And as the story unfolds, Jesus will be teaching the Word of God, and it talks about he's teaching the Word, and people are crowding around Jesus. And what's interesting, Peter's close by, but he's not listening to Jesus. He's not listening to the preaching. He's out working. He's in his boats working. They've been, he's been fishing all day, and the crowd, crowds continue to grow larger and larger, and it kind of pushes Jesus out into Simon's boat. And so Jesus gets into Simon's boat, and they cast out a little bit. And as they're out there, Jesus is preaching, and finally he says to Simon, you ought to let down your nets to get the catch of fish. The thing is, Jesus grew up as a carpenter. So Simon, in his mind, thinks to himself, you're not a fisherman, you're a carpenter. You should stick with carpentry. I know fishing, and I've been fishing all day. Yet Simon says to himself, Peter says to himself, nevertheless, because you have asked me, I'll do it. I imagine he rolled his eyes when he turned around, don't you think? I bet he turned around, rolled his eyes, grabbed his nets, threw it out, and it says in the Bible that he caught such a large gathering of fish that it literally began to break his nets, and he had to call his partners, James and John, with their boats to help bring the amount of fish that he caught in that moment when Jesus said, here's the place where you should lay out these nets. And you would think Peter's response might be out of the financial and economic, woohoo, thank you, Jesus. But instead, do you know what Simon and Peter says to Jesus at this moment? Lord, get away from me. Because I am a sinful man. 
It's not clear in Peter's mind exactly who it is that's in the boat, but he knows there's something amazing, there's something, there's a power, a divine power in this man that he knows himself well enough to know, I don't belong with this man. He looks at his own life. It's just a simple life. It's just a hard-working life. It's a blue-collar life. He's just trying to scratch out a living, do the best he can. He doesn't think of himself as a super spiritual man, a holy man, a righteous man. He's none of those things. He's trying to be a good person, mind you, but he doesn't belong around this person, to which Jesus responds and answers. Simon, Peter, do not be afraid. For now on, you're going to catch men. And in this moment, Jesus encounters Peter in the midst of his story. And I'm telling you, for Peter, he decides to take a leap of faith and he leaves his business behind and he commits himself to following as a disciple of Jesus. And I want you to know, he does so as Peter. Because people get this, sometimes people are afraid to give their lives to Jesus because they think in personality, in the essence of who you are, you'll become somebody else. Like you'll be a different person in personality, especially for guys. I find this all the time with guys. They think to themselves, they know who they are, the essence of who they are, their personality, and they're afraid if they give their life to Jesus, they're going to end up like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, right? And they don't want to be Mr. Rogers. I mean, no offense to Mr. Rogers. We like Mr. Rogers, but those slippers and that little cardigan vest thing isn't happening. And so they're always a little afraid that if we give our lives to Jesus, they will be, no, no, no. Peter will follow after Jesus, and he will still be Peter. The essence of who he is, how he's knit together, all the things that God gave him by way of temperament and personality, they don't go away. And the amazing thing is Jesus can see in Peter what he couldn't see for himself. And he can see what no one else around Peter can see. What Jesus sees is this man, as ordinary as he might be, as blue-collar and hardworking as he might be, as unreligious and unspiritual as he might see, Jesus can see in him this man will be a great risk-taker. He'll be an adventurer. He will be somebody who will be willing to enter into what will be adventure for the kingdom of God. And so he calls all that is Peter to follow after him, and his story begins to change. And as it does, Jesus can see the great possibilities that this man will be a radical revolutionary. And even though he has an accent and isn't really educated like everybody else around him, he will end up being a powerful speaker. And he will, he will in fact be a leader among the earliest of God's kingdom participants. And so Peter enters in to learning the ropes of what it means to follow after Jesus. And he will enter along with James and John, and he will have a front seat to Jesus' greatest miracles. In fact, what we find out is even though Jesus calls 12 people to follow after him, it's all right, everybody, keep looking up here. Even though he calls 12 people to follow after him, three will get a front row seat to the greatest of Jesus' miracles. That will be Peter. He'll be the first to declare publicly that Jesus is the Messiah. While everybody else is afraid in that boat and Jesus is walking on the water, only Peter will say, I want to walk on water too. He will be great, Jesus' greatest defender and triumphant supporter. And at the same time, because he's Peter, he'll speak when he, rather, when he should have been silent. He'll get caught up in his own fervor and he will miss the bigger picture that God is orchestrating in such a way that Jesus himself will say to Peter, you're going to have to get behind me because you don't have the things of God in mind, you have the things of Satan in mind. And while walking on that water in that great triumphant moment, it will be Peter when he feels the wind coming, he starts to sink. And you have then moments later, this is the enigma of Peter, he will be so triumphant when it comes to helping open the door up to Christianity, to Gentiles or to non-Jews. And then a moment later, when he's under pressure from other Jewish leaders, he'll be tempted to treat those new Gentile believers as less than equal. 
in the enigma that is Peter in a moment when he is triumphant in terms of I'll give my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. He pulls out his sword and he swings at and it's, he cuts the ear off of the, one of the servants of the chief high, of the high priest. Which, uh, note, this means he was a fisherman and not a swordsman because I think he's aiming for his head and all he got was his ear. So he should stick with fishing. But it was a beautiful moment where at least, whether it was misguided, he was being Peter. And yet at the next moment... He's cowering in fear, even in front of a little servant girl, and denying that he even knows Jesus three times. And the Bible will say, Jesus will look right at him in the midst of it. He will have brilliant moments of faith, and he'll have other moments where he'll miss it entirely. But Peter, in every way, will remain Peter, and Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will channel the essence of Peter for great things. And so soon after, after what will probably be for Peter the moment of greatest shame and humiliation and embarrassment and failure, he denied Jesus in front of everybody. In front of everybody, Jesus will take Peter and he'll ask him, Peter, do you love me? To which Peter will say, and you can imagine there might have been a pause for the effect of what has just happened, and Peter will say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus will ask him again, Peter, do you love me? But you have to imagine, Peter starts to, because of his temperament, I mean, he starts to get a little bit agitated with Jesus. Lord, you know that I love you. And after another brief pause, Jesus will ask one more time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter doesn't see it at the moment. He doesn't catch it. But what Jesus has done, he's overturned those three denials with three affirmations, and he'll say to him, now go and feed my sheep. I know who you are. And I know all the things by way of personality and temperament and that no one around you might look at you and say, ooh, he's so holy and righteous and spiritual. Let's make him be the leader. But Jesus will see this man is a risk taker and an adventurer. This is somebody that we can entrust with the things of the kingdom. And he'll even say to Peter, your name is Peter and it will be on this rock that I will build my church and the, right, the gates of hell will not ever prevail. And so in that, what we see is Peter gets to enter into then what will become as he closes his life on earth, he gets to see the resurrected Lord Jesus. And he'll be the first one in Acts chapter 2 to give that gospel sermon that thousands respond to. That man, Peter, that uneducated man who was able to do in the city of Jerusalem so many amazing and even miraculous things, and Peter's very quick to point to, it is because of the name of Jesus that these things are happening. Even handkerchiefs that Peter would touch all of a sudden became amazing things. He would be imprisoned and even suffer for Jesus, and he, like others in the church that were leaders, would be scattered when persecution came. He would have the honor of being the very first person that God would show through revelation that he really does intend to allow Christianity and following after Jesus to even go to the Gentiles so that even non-Jews would be a part of this kingdom movement. And so Peter will go to the house of Cornelius who would be a centurion in the Roman army and get to see with his own eyes God at work. He was instrumental in bringing peace to the church in Jerusalem. You could read that in Acts 15. And he gave his life to travel the Roman Empire declaring the good news of Jesus. He would later go on in his later life to serve as a father and elder to the church under his care. Tradition tells us that he died under the reign of Emperor Nero, who was busy about persecuting and putting to death Christians. So this was not a new thing. But one of them happened to be Peter, and according to tradition, because of who it is that he claimed to follow after, Nero wanted to have him crucified. 
Yet Peter thought to himself, I am not worthy to be put to death in the same manner as my Lord. And so he requested to be turned upside down, to be crucified upside down. And in the end, he would give his life to Jesus and be a radical, revolutionary world changer. Who would have ever figured? Simon from Galilee. So that rather than passing out of existence or memory just generations later, for 2,000 years we have told the story of a man named Peter, who to us would not seem remarkable in terms of spirituality, but into the eyes of Jesus was an amazing man who was willing to take a risk of faith for the kingdom of God. And it was because in a moment when he was in the presence and glory of Jesus, he decided to say with his mouth, I am second. It was because of a moment when he decided to place Jesus as the priority and the number one thing and say about himself, I am second, that his story changed forever. And I want you to know this morning, whether it might be through Jeff's story or Brian Head Welch's story or Peter's story, whatever it is that you identify with, most, it is quite possible that when we decide in our lives to say, I am second, it changes everything. And our stories will be different that God can see in us what we cannot see in ourselves for his glory's sake. And with such a confession, God then can use us to change the world. Amen? Let's ask the band to come on back up here. Let's just pray and ask God to give us that heart and that vision and to place Jesus as the priority and center of our lives. Father, we come to you and thank you that you are so good to us and so gracious that even in your mercy, you extend to us invitations that we don't even know we deserve, that we even ought to hear that you're able to see things in us we can't see in ourselves. And so this morning what I'm asking for, Lord, is a revelation of your great love for us, your generosity towards us, your grace to us. And we know that's being extended because of Jesus. And so we long to place him first and want to say with all sincerity that we are second. And now, Lord, we ask that there be power in that, that you would use us for your glory. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.